Sir Alpern, the Team One of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the president of What If Sports. His name is Tom Zentmeyer. Within the last month or two, Aaron Gleeman, of course, of uh, NBC's Hardball Talk, uh, and also just a, uh, an internetting gentleman, uh, generally speaking, Gleeman invited me to participate in his Hardball Dynasty League at What If Sports. Hardball Dynasty is a uh, baseball simulation in which one is uh, given the opportunity to behave uh, much in the way that a general manager would, which is to say that he um, oversees a, a roster of, uh, of baseball players, in this case computer-generated baseball players uh, from the major leagues all the way down uh, to rookie league. He also oversees uh, and allocates money to um, scouting, uh, to a, to both a, an amateur draft and international signings, uh, basically anything you can think of. Uh, so as I say, Aaron Gleeman invited me to participate in his Hardball Dynasty League, which has made me uh, curious again about what is sports, which is something that I personally, uh, I've been playing, I've cited and visited since, uh, I guess, 2001, 2002. In any case, I thought, uh, why don't I uh, abuse uh, whatever privileges I have as a podcast host and actually talk to uh, the people who design the game. In fact, Tom Zentmeyer uh, is largely responsible for the creation and the uh, and the continued uh, development of Hardball Dynasty uh, in addition to, uh, to some of the other sim baseball stuff that goes on over at What If Sports. Uh, so what is to follow is a conversation with him both about uh, Sim League Baseball, the sim engine that exists at What If Sports, and then uh, we spent a lot of time discussing Hardball Dynasty, which ends in me uh, bullying him a, a little bit to help me with my team. I, I think he gives me um, um, some good advice, but I don't think uh, also that he oversteps the bounds of good taste. Yes, so this is it. This is the interview. It is uh, it is Fangraphs Audio. It's on Fangraphs Audio. It's with president of What If Sports, Tom Zentmeyer, and it begins right now. So listen, I, when I when I'm calling you right now, I believe I'm calling you in Cincinnati. That's right. That's right, Cincinnati. You guys have been based there for a while. Yeah, we were uh, founded in 1999 in Cincinnati, and uh, we we've been in a couple locations, but we've been in our current residence for uh, going on seven years now. And uh, um, well, I guess I so I'll be honest with regard to Cincinnati. I only know. Um, I, I'm almost embarrassed to mention it, but I, I, everyone just talks about chili. Yeah. Is, uh, that, is chili a big part of your daily life? Uh, daily life for me, no, probably uh, twice a month. But we do have uh, one guy here in our office that's a big hardball player that eats Skyline at least once a week, several, sometimes even more than that. And is that uh, is that what you would call a heart-healthy food? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's definitely going to uh, cut off a few, few years of your life. You're right, but at least... Uh, those years would have probably been less enjoyable because of lack of, of chili on top of or or within pasta. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's got uh, you can get conies, which are hot dogs with chili, or you can get uh, spaghetti covered with uh, chili and mounds of cheese. Yeah, I think I read about it because I, I assumed it would have been like I guess I would have assumed it would have been like an Italian creation or like an Italian immigrant. But I think it was like a just like a Croatian guy selling it from a cart or something. Uh, you know what? I'm not really sure of the true long-term history. I do know it's a it's a f- part of the fabric of Cincinnati, though. If you go to Reds games, they have uh, Skyline available down there, and they have it uh, pretty much every part of Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. So anyway, I, I guess that's what I know uh, about it. I don't. I apologize. Is, is there anything that one would need to know, or or you think uh, people don't understand about Cincinnati uh, that that would help them understand the city better? 
Uh, the only thing I'd say is that uh, it's known for seven different hills, so there's not not many flat parts of Cincinnati. And within a 30-minute drive, we have the Reds, we have the Bengals, we have the Bearcats, we have the Xavier Musketeers. So it's a very uh, sports-heavy city, even without an NBA team. Okay, so wait a second. So it has seven hills. This is not uh, – I think that might be the same number that Rome has, maybe. Um, I'm – I'm not sure of that. All I know is uh, there. Are, it's one of the things Cincinnati's known for. Um, depending on what part of town you're in, there's there's a uh, mount somewhere very close by. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there we go. So it's not just a it's not just a flat midwestern city like some uh, like some other people might might assume it is. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, now we know that. And, and so uh, you mentioned uh, that what if sports has been around since 1999. I will tell you, uh, this is not. Uh, going to be of any interest to you, perhaps, or maybe it will be. I, I'm sure you have a certain population uh, that tells you their sort of um, stories, their, I guess, uh, how they became acquainted with what of sports. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that I've been playing uh, off and on, but mostly on, since 2001 or two. Um, is a possibility that uh, for a short time I had um, one of the best what of sports baseball records, uh, team records of all time. Uh, and I believe, because I believe there was a certain version of the engine that um, did not, uh, this was like the original What If Sports Baseball, did not, let's see, it did not take into account like uh, whip for pitchers into its pricing. And so there was a there was a Lamar Hoyt season from 1983 that I think was, uh, it made a Lamar Hoyt, uh, I think a best buy so far as the engine was concerned. I don't know if that rings any bells for you, though. It does. Uh, Sim League Baseball. Uh, the game based on actual uh, players throughout history. The first uh, probably seven years of that game, one of the things that users were constantly looking for were the players you just mentioned, guys that were underpriced. Uh, eventually, people users on the site referred to them as cookies. So owners were always hunting down cookies to build their team with those cookies because, as you know, baseball is a game where you're always trying to find that hidden value and when everyone's working on a salary cap, if you can find those guys, it was a benefit. So Lamar Hoyt, uh, there's been there've been a lot of examples of those types of guys. But uh, the last five years or so, we've had a salary in place that has pretty much eliminated cookies, which is a good thing. There are still players that people favor, but it's usually guys down in the the bench filler guys, guys that are two hundred thousand dollars, that type of thing. Yeah, actually, uh, I mean, I think some of our listeners might be interested to hear about which players. I I think that maybe. There was there were a couple Eddie Stanky seasons that were also quite valuable. Do you, do you remember offhand any of the other names that that would have uh, that would have been uh, of a cookie variety? Yeah, um, Silver King. There was a period of time where he and uh, John Carlson, I think. Um, oh, they threw like crazy, were, like six hundred inning seasons, right? Yeah, so they're from the early eighteen hundred or the eighteen hundred seasons, and back then. Um, the pricing, you know, everything was so heavy on innings pits. So those guys, when you extrapolated their season out to 162-game seasons, you know, 800, 900 innings, so their prices were not accounting for that. So you could go in and you could get one of their seasons for relatively cheap and then go with a one- or two-man pitching rotation and throw the savings on your offense and, you know, do pretty well for yourself for a long time. Yeah, those are... That was definitely fun, and and I would say at some level, um, uh, the sim league baseball game uh, we were talking about, 
um, which has been around for some time. Has this has, has Simli been around since 1999 when when the uh, the site started? Uh, no, it came about I think in late 2000. So college basketball is the game that kind of started the company, but then soon after that, baseball came aboard, and then that was the game where the heaviest interest was. So I believe that was the first pay product. Okay, yeah, and and uh, it was a, it was a great pay product, and uh, uh, it spent I spent yeah, like I say, I spent a lot of time uh, playing it, um, much to my then girlfriend now wife's uh, disappointment and displeasure. Um, <laughs> but we're together still, so it didn't tear us apart. Luckily. Um, now, when that started, um, right? Yeah, I, I guess I'm curious. How does how, um, how does that happen? Uh, where you say did you say uh, well we have this uh, college uh, basketball product let's uh, let's branch off and see and see what happens if we do this? Sure. Okay. And then and so what is that discussion like? Uh, just uh, this is the next thing to try. I mean, why baseball as opposed to another sport? Well, I I was not here in 1999. I began. Um, in April of 2003, but I spoke enough with uh, the, owner, the founder of the company to kind of have a good understanding of how everything came about. So uh, Tarek Camille was the founder, great guy. Um, he came up with the concept while uh, having downtime in a consulting gig. So his big passion is college basketball. So he wanted to, this was in the Internet's infancy, so he wanted to put something online where people could fill out their March Madness bracket challenge um you know put their picks in and then evaluate and run everything online and as he was doing that he kind of uh became aware of all the statistics that were available and from there wanted to put together and solve the question the what if question of what if he had guys from different eras different years compete against one another so he started with the college basketball engine this was all for free where he could pick any two teams, click a button, and see a box score with play-by-play. That was his initial offering. And then once that was out and people, you know, were enjoying it and the word was spreading, uh, the next thing people wanted was baseball. So he put together a baseball engine. And then my understanding is once that was out and people really, really enjoyed that, the next question was, hey, you know, this is cool that you can play two teams against one another. What if you took players from different teams and put them on the same team? what would happen then. So that became uh, what we called our dream teams. And, again, that was free. Users could uh, sign into the site and then pick players from throughout history and put them all on one team and then play against other users' dream teams or against historical teams. So, so that now, went – Oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Uh, well, I'm curious as to, to how, um, you know, as you were developing this, uh, it, it became clear, you know, as we've noted here briefly, like with a Lamar Hoyt season or a Silver King season – it became clear that certain players, um, you know, were their their probably their skills in the engine were not necessarily being represented uh, by the salary structure. And I'm curious as to as things are developing. Now you say you show up in t- 2003, so you were still certainly um, you were certainly there um, when uh, you know the earlier stages of of sim baseball, for example. I'm curious as to how you go about uh, identifying uh, those sorts of players, and then. Um, asking questions and coming to answers about um, how to price them more appropriately? Sure. Um, We have all kinds of queries that delve into our database to see player usage, and eventually we we put together a page and made that known to the public. For for instance, right now, the 1980 Miguel DeLone season is the most often drafted player season. He's on 10% of all teams, which is a pretty high percentage. 
So when we put together those queries, we would constantly see the thought of the masses because uh, our users on our site are incredibly incredibly smart and sharp. They download a lot of the data to Excel. They do all their own analysis. They find out the guys that are better, and then that shows up in the data that we can review. And once we have that data, you know, we kind of get a feel. We look for why they're a bargain, and then we also interact with our users a lot in the forums. Um, back in 2000, 2004, that was a daily occurrence where there was a ton of interaction with our users. So we got the empirical evidence, but then we also got the word-of-mouth evidence. And from there, we were able to, A, improve our engine to make sure we were accounting for all the things that mattered the most, but then, B, when we reviewed our salary pricing structure, which usually happened once a year when we brought in new players from the most recent season, we continue to try and do a better job of matching up our salary with what actually takes place in our engine. So if our engine, uh, for all of our sports, uh, they're never finished. We are constantly tweaking and improving our engines. So over time, that baseball engine went from a somewhat simple engine into a very complex engine where it now uses just about every stat you can think of, and the salary and pricing model accounts for every stat used and then also you know, weighs that accordingly. Whereas back in the day, back in 2001, 2002, the salary structure was based a lot on raw statistical totals, which are not actually used in the engine. We use ratio statistics. So that was a big change. Yeah, and so I'm curious uh, because obviously uh, certain dedicated players are going to become interested in and then are also going to continue to exploit whatever they regard as inefficiencies. I, I assume that at some level you want to reward uh, the users who you know who are on the site most frequently and you know are your best customers, um, but at the same time, you want the you want the salary structure to resemble or you know to reflect the the, um, the quality of a player, and you also want the engine you know to as best as possible or as much as makes sense to reflect what real baseball looks like. And I'm wondering how you deal with that. If there's any consideration for sort of rewarding people who have really mined the game, or if you're if you're uh, greatest sort of interest is in, um, you know, creating a, I guess, parity among all owners, um, or in among, you know, I guess, a, a sort of a parity of information, um, so that there really are not too many uh, rough edges to be exploited. Yeah, we've always gone for a balance there. So, back in the early days where cookies were much more um, easy to find, we could have gone the route of trying to make things as fair for everybody constantly by pushing out salary updates frequently. But we always kind of went the other way there. So when we internally were happy with the salary update and we would push it out, we wanted to let that salary stay in place unless there was a bug of some kind. We wanted that salary to stay in place for 12 months so that our experienced users, the guys that, guys that really love the game, spend the time to dig into it. They would benefit a little bit from all that research and you know have have enough time to take advantage of that with uh, however many seasons they can play out in a year. How has the uh, you know um, so if, if this if the site was started in '99 and then um, you know sim baseball in in um, 2000 and then um, and, and we're going to get to uh, Hardball Dynasty uh, and when was Hardball Dynasty created? 2005. 2005, okay. So and we're certainly going to talk about that because I'm going to try and uh, bully you into helping me uh, win my league or you know, at least play better than I have. Um, 
But uh, I'm curious as to what extent, because it, that's actually about the same time frame that we've seen, uh, you know, more or less the, uh, the sort of um, exploding interest in, in sabermetrics. Uh, certainly Moneyball did a lot for that. Uh, Bill James preceded that, you know, by, by years, and there were you know, some other names and some other research before that. Uh, but certainly the the, uh, the release of Moneyball um, and then sites like Baseball Prospectus and, of course, Fangraphs uh, have helped um, o- only to sort of further people's interest in that and further awareness about it. And I think maybe take away some of the nerd stigma of it, um, although uh, many of us are proud uh, proud to be nerds. Uh, I'm curious as to how sort of um, the population's increased understanding, your increased understanding of, of real baseball has uh, has informed – um, has informed the engine and, and generally the way you go about business at, uh, in dealing with baseball at WhatUp Sports? Yeah, so for baseball in particular, when I started here in 2003, I had spent my previous three years uh, developing all-star baseball for Acclaim Entertainment for the PlayStation and the Xbox and the GameCube. So I had just come off of three hardcore years of spending pretty much every waking hour on baseball. So when I came aboard, what if in 2003, uh, part-time while I was getting my uh, MBA, at that point in time, I was so deep into baseball. I mean, I'm sure, like you are, I mean, every waking moment I was doing something baseball-related. So during that time, I read a ton of books, including Moneyball. Um, so I did a incredible amount of research without really knowing that I was going to be creating Hardball Dynasty. I just super into Baseball America, um, which, which I've been reading uh, religiously for every for years and years. Really into the Ron Chandler Baseball Forecasters, uh, big fan of the Fielding Bible that came out. Um, I have a very deep uh, bookshelf of baseball books. So when the opportunity came for me to come here, the first thing I worked on was improving our simulated baseball engine and eventually rewriting that for the launch of hardball so that one engine could fuel both of our baseball games. So with hardball, you know, the the design that I put together for that game incorporated everything that I had been doing the past few years uh, within the video game world, but then combining it with all the research I had been doing. So when we built that game, we went over the top where rather than some of our previous what-if games, we started small and then built on it we went out of the gates with hardball where it had everything in it. Uh, we ended up putting about 80% of our uh, initial design dock in place, and it was incredibly sophisticated. You know, it had international prospects. It had the Rule 5 draft, the amateur draft, all these things that most games, baseball games, you know, never had in the past. And with that, uh, in terms of research and everything, you mentioned some of these sabermetrics. So, the game itself was developed with a lot of sabermetrics research and knowledge in place, but also a lot from the scouting side, too. So a lot of knowledge um, that I picked up from reading Baseball America and from reading a lot of the prospect books that were coming out at the time, uh, Dolly Sign on the Muscle, lots of cool books like that. It kind of took both sides into account, which is, you know, the big debate is always scouting versus sabermetrics, but it took both sides of that and put it into one game where, Really what we are trying to do to the user is present them everything that a real baseball manager and a baseball general manager would face so that every decision they make in the game, there's a pro and a con associated with it. So no decision is free. There's always a cost 
yeah. at uh, what you're doing, and I think we did a great job of balancing that. Now, I want to ask you just to, if you would, um, especially for those listeners who are not familiar with Horrible Dynasty, which is a game on, on What If Sports, uh, I'm, I'm sure you you, have, you could describe this more succinctly uh, than, than I could. So um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that, just to give, uh, I guess, like the elevator speech version of it. Yeah, so Hardball Dynasty, it is an online baseball simulation game where you run a franchise from top to bottom. So you take over, you get to pick which city you want your team to be in, you get to pick your ballpark, you get to name it, you have a logo. And from there, you're in charge of running the franchise. So that means you have your players from rookie ball all the way up to the majors. And you have to make every decision a real-life uh, manager and general manager makes. So, like I mentioned before, waivers, Rule 5 draft, 40-man uh, roster, all that type of stuff. It's all in there. You control player development, make trades, arbitration. So it has it all, but the goal is you're running a franchise, and each season, if you decide to come back and pay to play again, your players age, your players will retire, get better, develop. And if you do well enough, you can win prizes on our site, which you can cash in for more seasons or what if sports merchandise or Amazon gift cards or whatever type of pricing we have in place. So yeah. it, it is oh, yeah, incredibly yeah. deep, but uh, the one big strength of the game, while the game itself is great, the one thing I think that draws everyone to it is our baseball community and that we have a lot of great, interesting, likable users on our site that make it very realistic. Sort of at the at the heart of of the game. I, and besides, you mentioned a lot of the sort of um, I mean, uh, baseball fans, and certainly people who read fan graphs, uh, A lot of the mechanisms in place in Hardball Dynasty will be familiar. Like you mentioned, arbitration, amateur draft, international draft, uh, or I should say, international free agency. Um, uh, you know, uh, players who have splits. But sort of at the heart of it, right, is uh, is for each player there are a number of ratings. Uh, generally uh, zero to 100. Um, these are sort of, I guess, at the heart of the game. Not only because the ratings you see for a player um, are also, you know, they're subject to change. If uh, you know, if a player is younger than, you know, 25, 27, 30, something like that, his his ratings are generally improving. Um, if a player gets injured, especially a young player, um, it seems like um, his numbers, uh, his ratings are likely to decrease. Uh, but the other thing is, and this is this is I think an interesting part of the game. It's something about which I want to ask you, uh, is uh, depending on how much as a as a team owner, um, as a user, depending on how much you allocate to advanced scouting um, or uh, or a couple of other different uh, sort of scouting categories, the numbers you see. Correct me if I'm wrong. The ratings you see uh, are are perhaps not the sort of uh, the platonic numbers, right? So we might see for a batter that he hits lefties, he gets a 75 rating, um, but that's not that may not be objectively what his rating is uh, against left-handed against left-handed pitchers. That's right. We with all of our uh, player ratings, we approached it as close to real life as what we thought was. So we have a budget for prospects. We have a budget for your advanced scouting department. And for the prospects, we break it down between high school and college uh, scouting. So depending on how much you put in your budget for advanced scouting, for instance, you'll see more accurate ratings when you're evaluating players on the other um, major league rosters. So if you want to skimp on your advanced scouting department, 
then you're going to see a lot of fuzzy fuzziness with your rating. So a guy like Mike Trout, you may not see him as being as good as somebody that spent a lot of money on their uh, advanced scouting department. Same thing with uh, your high school scouting. So if you want to spend a lot on your high school scouting budget, you're going to see more accurate ratings and more players when it comes time for the amateur draft. Right. Well, that's an interesting thing, and, and I'm curious as to how um, you came to this decision. Uh, obviously, you're trying at some level to um, imitate real life, uh, but in some cases, I assume it's what you're trying, what you're what you're able to do is really you're trying to imitate the spirit of real life. And I think that this happened with how you decided to to deal with the draft, and and um, how you did is um, is it's not necessarily that you know that every player exists. And your ratings are not always entirely accurate. It's possible that the ratings or your projected ratings are not entirely accurate. But if you um, if you allocate less money to the draft, um, or I should say, you know, college or high school setting, there are actually a bunch of players that you won't be able to see. And I, I'm curious as, as to how you came to that decision. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great point. That's actually one of the things that our new our new users usually bring up, and that is we try to be as realistic as possible as it pertains to baseball, but we also want to put in good game mechanics. So, yes, I know that uh, you can go on to foxsports.com or ESPN.com, and before that MLB draft each year, you can find out all kinds of information about the top however many prospects. But in our game, we want, we want uh, your budgets to mean something. So if you skimp on your high school scouting, for instance, you might not see that number one rated high school prospect. So, yes, there's a little bit of bending from reality there because we know that, you know, MLB runs its own scouting service that all the teams are privy to. But in order to make the game fun, we had to, you know, deviate from uh, reality there a little bit to make it so that it's, it's competitive where people's decisions, uh, you know, make a difference in the game. Was that a tough choice? I mean, how did that, um, how did that come about, that decision? Uh, it was not a tough choice for me because... Um, you know, to make any game, you need to have good game mechanics in place. So if you want scouting to mean anything at all within the game, you need to do something like that, or else it's just going to be a, uh, a money game. So whoever has the highest money that they can spend towards prospects, they're going to get the best players, which I don't think is something that we wanted because of the nature of trying to build, you know, pros and cons into every decision that's being made at the budget level because, Within Hardball Dynasty, when you're setting a budget, you're only setting a line item for eight or nine different choices, and scouting's a big part of that. What, uh, what in terms of the ranges that I can see? So if I, uh, so I'm in a league uh, that is, I guess, um, commissioned by Aaron Gleeman, who uh, has been a baseball writer now for, uh, well, for certainly for a lot, uh, much longer than I have, and he's also younger than me, which makes him, uh, which makes him a jerk. Uh, but he, but he actually. Uh, unfortunately, he's actually a nice person. Um, I'm in his league, and um, like if I look at another team, so say I allocate the the least amount um, I can, especially as like a first or second year player, I think that there are certain constraints. Maybe just in this league, there are constraints. Uh, <clears throat> if I allocate the least amount of money um, versus if I allocate the most amount of money to advanced scouting, What's the range of difference going to be when I look at another team's players generally? Or is this a part of the, the sort of black box that uh, we need to unpack as a, as a user of the game? It, uh, the most possible difference you'll see is around 30 rating points. 
but again, it's it's a fuzzy logic, so you're not going to see it consistently from player to player. I, I can't even imagine the sort of coding that would go into that because essentially you're you're, you're asking it to um, um, each time is there's going to be quite a bit of randomness, right? I mean, uh, is there any way you could describe the coding of that in a, in, a, in layman's terms? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty tech, pretty uh, good technical challenge, but the way we approached it is we put together a uh, matrix of rating differences per rating category, and then there's a few formulas uh, that kind of pull it all together. So the further you are from the full budget amount, the further away you're going to be, the further away your deviation maximum can be per rating. So the challenge for us, that part wasn't that difficult, but the challenge was maintaining that for your franchise per player. So part of it had to be dynamic, but part of it also needed to remain constant so that, you know, if you went to look at a player one day, it's not going to be a different rating that you saw the next day. No, I um, um, I received in, uh, I think the, the league I'm in right now is a, it's in season 25, so it's been going for some time. Uh, I received in my virtual inbox, I think just yesterday, because uh, we just passed the All-Star break, I received in my virtual inbox a note uh, that I had some players who were diamonds in the rough. I was wondering if you could explain, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, in more depth for me, but also for the benefit of the listeners, uh, what is a diamond in the rough? Well, first off, I looked at yours earlier today, and you got a really <laughs> good diamond in the rough picture, which is nice. But okay, uh, what good. we wanted... Yeah. Within Hardball Dynasty, you mentioned earlier, there can be injuries. So when injuries occur, it's going to potentially curtail a prospect's career. So we wanted to have the opposite in there. And what we decided to go with was the concept of a diamond in the rough, a guy like a Mike Piazza. So we wanted to have a prospect that basically, you know, just something just clicked. Uh, No steroids or anything like that. Just something clicked where all of a sudden their ceiling um, shifted higher during their playing career. So we didn't want to go overboard with that because there's a big fear there that, you know, someone's just going to luck into benefiting there. But we we put together a, a pretty complicated system that's somewhat conservative. So each franchise can have anywhere from one to, I think, maybe four or five each season. But... There are a lot of factors that go into play as to how many they'll get and then which players they'll get, and from there, how much they'll improve. Is there anything that an owner can do to, I guess, um, to encourage uh, this uh, getting a diamond in the rough or not? There is, but that's one of those things we prefer not to share. Okay, that's fine. No, I, I, I mean, I want you to definitely say when, when you don't want to share, but I also want to get uh, as close to those points as, as possible. Um, here's a question. It does seem as though, uh, and maybe this is in that territory as well, it does seem as though um, BABIP is handled a little bit differently in the game, or, of course, batting average on ball and play, is, is handled a little bit differently in the game than especially you know, people who read fan graphs uh, might be used to it g- going on. In particular, it seems like if a pitcher has really good ratings, like his capacity for suppressing BABIP is very strong, Um more strong in a way that we can at least see from a uh, as a as a fan standpoint, as an analyst standpoint in baseball, uh, w- the natural talent or the, the true talent might exist there, but of course it takes some time for that true talent to be revealed. Like in the case of, for example, like a Matt Cain or Jared Weaver, these seem to be 
two pitchers with a skill for suppressing BABIP. Of course, the way that the game is constructed, we have some idea of a pitcher's true talent, by the way, you know, his various ratings. It does seem as though BABIP is maybe handled um, perhaps more strongly from the scouting side than it is from the number side in, uh, in, in Hardball Dynasty. That's a, that's a pretty good way to put it. And if, you know, if you pour over Major League Baseball stats for BABIP, uh, you know, the general consensus or a lot of things that I've read is that pitchers don't have much control over that, although there are some guys that do, Mariano Rivera, a few other examples like that. But when we were building Hardball Dynasty, we wanted to make it where pitchers had a little bit more control over that than what the data was showing off in real life. So two of our ratings, there's uh, effectiveness versus left-handed batters and effectiveness versus right-handed batters. That kind of comes into play in, uh, in deriving that. And, and let me ask you, um, because this is something that certainly I assume Fangraphs readers will be interested in, uh, and certainly I am um, as, a, uh, as an editor of that same site, is, uh, is seeing or if you've uh, discussed or thought about maybe imp- implementing um, some of the even more advanced stats um, that would be example, you know, that are, that are available at Fangraphs, for example, um, as part of or into the, um, the Hardball Dynasty game. I, I mean, for example, uh, batting average of all in play. Uh, but it, per- perhaps uh, more interestingly, and I don't necessarily know how this would work in terms of implementing it, but something like uh, wins above replacement. Yes. Um, it's funny, when we, when we built that game, we thought we were kind of on the cutting edge with a lot of our in-depth statistics. But then, as you mentioned earlier, things kind of took off. So that's one of the short game, shortcomings of the game right now is we don't have a lot of those advanced sabermetric stats in the game. But it is something that we've been internally building our own list. So that's one of our next few updates for the combination of both Hardball Dynasty and League Baseball. We'll be introducing a new suite of stats that are all kind of geared towards the sabermetric side. Uh, that sounds awesome and great and nerdy. Uh, do, do you have any sort of, I mean, besides something like wins above replacement, uh, do, you, do you have any other uh, sort of things um, that you have in mind for that? Um, well, for, for fielding, we had the plus-minus plays in there before the fielding Bible came out, so it was kind of cool that that came out and it was somewhat similar. But beyond that, um, I'd like to introduce some more uh, fielding statistics in the game. There, there are a lot of like, competitor fielder metrics out there, but... As far as which one, we haven't determined which which one. Um, wins above replacement, for sure. Uh, beyond that, I don't really, I can't really rattle them off to you right now. Yeah, um, I, I know Baseball Prospectus has their their group, uh, Fangraphs. You guys have your own, your own. So there's a lot to choose from. But for us, one of the challenges is because games play three times a day. We need to make sure that whatever we use, it's somewhat um, easy to calculate and that isn't made up of multiple steps because that's where it gets, A, a little bit tricky on the coding end, but then, B, uh, on the performance efficiency end, too. Yeah, well, and actually it's interesting that you bring that up because, for example, the way we do fielding, um, the way, you know, uh, UZR, ultimate zone rating, is, is part of wins above replacement, uh, but... I mean, a couple of things with regard to that, and, and this is an interesting point, you know, in terms of how you measure, um, you know, how you produce this measurement, but then also how you present it uh, to people. I mean, you know, some of those people could be devout fangrass readers. Some of them could be people who come to the site once a week or once a month or once a year. 
you know, with UZR, UZR updates weekly. And then additionally, because, you know, fielding is a, dyna a dynamic thing, um, the baseline is is uh, constantly changing. I mean, not by huge amounts, but, you know, you have more data as the season goes on. And so we have a, a you know, a changing baseline. And that can become complicated, too, because in some cases, maybe a player didn't even play, and yet uh, his UZR could change because the baseline changed. And this can happen with any stat where you're comparing a player to a to sort of a league average. And so I That's imagine right. that, that what you're mentioning is that is sort of dealing with something like that uh, so that you don't uh, – I, I imagine you make some choices <laughs> with a view not to raising the ire of your customers. That's true. I mean, we we always try and get uh, a consensus from our users of what is wanted, but then we have to take that next step of reviewing and seeing what is possible within our system that's going to keep the game simulating within an hour and all that type of stuff. No, no. Uh, you mentioned that uh, a bunch of guys in your office uh, play a Hardball Dynasty. I'm curious for people who are perhaps more familiar with the engine or very familiar with the engine, in fact, you know, have a hand in creating it and also in the, in the way that, uh, the, you know, the ratings are weighted uh, in, in Hardball Dynasty. I'm curious as to what the uh, – as to what those, I guess, competitions are like. Uh, I, I guess it's not cheating per se or because you all have uh, roughly the same level of information, but I wonder how that changes the complexion of the league and the, and the nature of competition in it. Well, we created a world called Clemens back in, I believe, around 2007, 2008. And the concept was we'd have all of our employees in that world, and then whatever we didn't fill, we'd ask other users to join. So that world is still going around, and I think it probably has eight or nine of the guys from the office in there. But the original world that was created on this site, uh, Ruth and Aaron both came out at the same time. They were, they were the launch worlds. And I was in Ruth for 10 seasons, and uh, one of the other guys here has been in it since its inception. And there was another user in there, not an employee, uh, Schedule 1. We could not beat him. Really? Um, yeah. And so the other guys <laughs> in the office here, they have not worked on the baseball engine. That's just been me. But I, I cannot win in Sim League Baseball <laughs> or in Hardball, and I know the ins and outs of everything. <laughs> which to me, which to me, just tells me that we did a really good job making those games. Do you have a sense of, I, I, I mean, if someone who doesn't have sort of, uh, who's not privy to the, um, to the nuts and bolts of it, what, what sort of things could happen where they're able to win despite the fact that you are are intimately acquainted with uh, with the inner workings? One thing that is definitely an advantage to people is if they are active traders. Because depending on how busy you are in real life versus how much time you can dedicate to your team, if you're one of those guys that can pull off some good trades, you've just given yourself a leg up on all the people in your league that don't trade. So that's definitely one, and that, that comes to your roster and your personnel. Beyond that, I mean, just make, make good decisions and get a little lucky or avoid unlucky. Yeah, avoid unlucky. Now, uh, this will be uh, um, certainly the, uh, the most boring part of the episode for listeners, uh, but the most relevant part of it for me is I want to ask you about my team. I took it over um, from a person I'm sure is a stand-up gentleman. Uh, I don't know him, uh, but I've taken it over this year. 
Uh, I think uh, you may or may not have had a chance to look at it. It's the uh, the Burlington Aristocrats and Aaron Gleeman's League. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't know that I have specific questions. But it, does it seem like I have some idea or no idea of what I'm doing? Would you say? I'll give you my uh, quick analysis here. Yeah, do it. So I noticed that you're playing in a uh, pitcher's park. Very, uh, very much a, a pitcher's park. Yeah, so the equivalent of Petco, or maybe even a little bit more stringent. Yes. So then I noticed that you structured at least your major league team around that. So you have a speedy team that is really good on defense. So that's a pretty good fit. Yes, that was the that was partially the idea. It's it's slightly different looking because I I believe the team um I don't know if I had to change the park before or after I was able I looked at the roster, uh, but I decided I want a team in New England, which really <laughs> is maybe not the best way to, to to decide it. But I'm from New England. I said I want, and someone had already taken Hartford, uh, maybe someone had taken Portland, Maine. Any in any case, I decided Burlington, and I thought um, this is something you could probably speak to somewhat freely is that. I thought if you had a choice, you would pick an extreme park um, because you could tailor your roster to it uh, to some degree, and that, that seemed like it would be a smart decision. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty common um, characteristic in both of our baseball games. If you, since you have control of your park and you can build your team around the park, that's usually a pretty wise thing to do. Okay. Yeah, and I have uh, I have gone uh, uh, defense heavy, and, and I thought maybe because my park suppresses. Um, all sorts of balls in play and also home runs. I thought, well, um, ideally, and of course, I, you know, I haven't had control over the entirety of it. Uh, but I thought, ideally, what I would want to find is players who could get on base, uh, you know, perhaps m- uh, more frequently than average on the base and balls. And then, uh, once they're on base, uh, would be able to take extra bases um, via stealing them or, or uh, maybe taking an extra one. Uh, extra base on um, you know batted balls. Yeah, that's a good good sound strategy for that park. Okay. Uh, one, I noticed a couple things though. Um, a couple shortcomings that I think. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I want to hear this. Yes. The, the first shortcoming is your team really struggles against left-handed pitchers. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, your pitching staff struggles against left-handed batters. Yeah. So that's that's one of those things that are somewhat difficult to combat without. You know, make, either making a trade for similar players that uh, have some flip stats there. Yeah, those were two shortcomings. But then on on the positive end, since you're playing in a defensive park, you are your team is going to throw many fewer pitchers, mm-hmm. many fewer pitches than many of the other franchises. But then you also have a pitching staff that has one of the higher overall staminas in the in the world. Oh yeah. So you are essentially wasting some of that because you have a lot of pitches, basically, that your team's never going to be able to take advantage of. Oh, yes. Okay. I will take that into account. Uh, I think that probably comes from some anxieties. Uh, I think maybe the one time I played before this, uh, I had a team for maybe a season or two, and uh, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I frequently had tired pitchers. Uh, yeah. Maybe I thought, well, uh, endurance is something I can figure out. Uh, and then I think I just had tired pitchers all the time. But that's a good point that you bring up. Uh, is that maybe uh, so? I probably speaking. I'm probably doing that out of anxiety, but uh, have not fully optimized uh, optimized my pitching staff as far as that's concerned. I will take that into account. Um, okay, so perhaps you can trade one of your uh, bullpen arms for 
another bullpen arm or uh, do a two-for-one deal where you strengthen your uh, versus left-handed batting. Yeah, this is, gonna, this is a good strategy. Yeah, it has it is interesting uh, taking over a team from someone else because you can sort of see their – I guess their their imprint on the team, their biases, and then of course you uh, you apply your own, um, uh, you know your own to it. So you know you can sort of see how uh, how things like that work out. What you, I don't know if you saw Aaron Gleeman's team, he destroys people. I saw that he's on a uh, five year run of dominance. Yes, he's very good, and he's never really been bad. Uh, I almost wonder. I, I mean, it would be it would be very satisfying. Uh, if and when we meet in the World Series and I and I beat him, um, but I'm thinking that uh, that's not going to happen this year. Um, how does he? Um, have you guys been feeding him secrets? Is that what I've, I've been led to believe? Well, we have not been feeding him secrets. You haven't been feeding him secrets. All right. Well, that's we do help him out. We do help him out occasionally with a customer support request, but uh, no secrets. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a nice guy, like I say. Hey, well, listen, uh, Tom. Tom, let me uh, let me say your last name and then you tell me how wrong I am. Uh, Zentmeyer. That's correct. Does that sound that sounds right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, we didn't even get to the portion of your life where you worked for, um, where you helped design uh, baseball uh, games for Acclaim, which is also um, super fascinating. So I guess we'll just uh, we'll have to have you on again at some point. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna thank you. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna thank you, uh, and then um, I'm going to end the recording, uh, and then we'll speak briefly, and then. Uh, and then I'll, I'll let you go and do whatever it is you do in Cincinnati. Right, okay, good, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Carson. All right, Appreciate that is, you having me on. Yeah, that's Tom Zemmeyer of, of What If Sports. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.